The Healthy Golf Podcast, episode 39 with Allison Gray. Welcome to the Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast, and today I'm excited to bring on a functional medicine nurse practitioner, Allison Gray. Allison is the owner of North Star Holistic Medicine, located in Yarmouth, Maine, and I was lucky enough to have a short conversation with her last week to just kind of talk about more of what she does, and I think she could be really helpful to the listeners of the show. So welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. Awesome. So why don't you just go ahead, kind of give us a little background on yourself and kind of what led you to where you are today. Um, I am currently a uh, family nurse practitioner and I've been a nurse practitioner for about four and a half years. Um, I was a registered nurse before that, an RN, and I did labor and delivery for like 10 years, um, which I loved. Uh, And actually, there's a lot of overlapping themes. I came into medicine in general, um, wanting to focus on women's health mostly, but really kind of helping people find a deeper level of healing, helping them find a really supported um, outlet for medical care. And in a roundabout way, you know, my philosophies personally, even before I got into medicine, were all very much based in natural, holistic, alternative health. And labor and delivery kind of benefits the most from having a more hands-off approach for the most part, unless obviously there's something else going on. Um, And after a while, I just decided I really wanted to be able to kind of help influence people's long-term health a little more than I was in labor and delivery. Um, So I went back to school and became an NP and here I am today. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So you have been in business now for yourself for just a little, about a year, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, almost here. Nice. And I'm sure if if people can do the math, that's obviously starting in uh, (laughs) pandemic times. So congratulations on still still being around. You as well. (laughs) Thank you. I know we have Um, a out there. Yes. The, uh, I guess the big question is you, again, primarily focus on functional medicine, which is more of a quote unquote, an alternative holistic approach to health and medicine in general, which I know. Um, a lot of people, when they think of that as more Eastern medicine, traditional kind of things along those lines, again, like acupuncture, or I can't even think of other, um, so all of those other things, but this, I would say has, has picked up more steam in recent times. I think there's more and more research and data that's being done on kind of the stuff that I think we're going to be talking about. And just so people know, research is usually about like 10 years behind. So like the research that we have now is like already eight to 10 years old. Um, So I think over the next few years, even handful of years, we're going to be seeing more and more research on what is now quote unquote anecdotal evidence for what Allison is working with. So maybe can you give us a little bit more of a background of what functional medicine is besides just maybe being like an alternative or holistic approach to health? Sure, absolutely. And I'll start off saying that um, 
though I personally am really into like very holistic metaphysical kind of out there stuff in my personal life. Um, I will say that functional medicine is much more of a kind of science physiology approach to medicine, which is also appealing to the kind of science nerd in me as well. So I agree with you. I think that functional medicine is going to emerge as a necessary platform to achieve the health goals that we need in a country where we're kind of playing with this idea of like, you know, socialized medicine and that sort of thing. Well, socialized medicine is a lot more affordable when people are healthy. And how do we get people healthy? Well, we do prevention and wellness as opposed to waiting till things get really bad. Our current system's kind of based on that. If you're about to fall off the cliff or you're injured or you're sick, we'll deal with it as opposed to prevention. So functional medicine, um, Gosh, I don't know. It's been around over 15, 20 years easily, but it's, I would say it's kind of come more into the forefront of some awareness probably in the last like five or six years. Um, the idea, the general premise is that functional medicine uses a system of analysis to determine basically where are symptoms coming from. So instead of treating a symptom, so for example, someone has high blood pressure we might need to use medication to address the high blood pressure to keep them safe. And at the same time, a functional medicine approach is gonna say, okay, where is the high blood pressure coming from? Are there um, emotional stressors that we can work on with things like mindfulness? Are there cardiac, um, genetic cardiac markers that predispose someone to have more issues with cardiac function and things like nutrients and dietary changes based on that person's genetic profile that we can address. Are there basic things like sleep, diet, exercise that need some tweaking? And that answer is different for every person. So you also need to look at it in a framework of what works for one person is not necessarily going to be the same for another. So having that kind of bigger picture of where the symptoms coming from and in functional medicine, we start, I mean, we start asking people like about when they were, when their mom was pregnant with them and when they were born and their childhood health and family history, because we use those as clues and there's clues and puzzle pieces that start to emerge that give a much more in-depth um, understanding about what might be causing the underlying issues. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, but I will say the, um, the other piece that I really appreciate about functional medicine is that it's so rarely looking at just one issue. So for if we're looking at a blood pressure issue and we address just one piece of it, it might not affect the outcome the way we want it to. So we really have to address all these underlying pieces. And that's hard when we're talking about lifestyle stuff, but that's why having a really good rapport with someone um, and frequent kind of check-ins is helpful for their success. Yeah, I think I think that was, first of all, an awesome explanation and great, <laughs> great insight. Better, better than whatever I could have uh, conjured up. But yeah, I, I would agree one from my little bit of knowledge of functional medicine, it seems to have a little bit more of a science based back approach, kind of like what you said versus um, nothing against acupuncture or Reiki. But again, I'm sure there's some science behind that. But this is even more science, and but not as much as quote unquote, Western medicine. And I definitely would agree almost with you in terms of Again, I think this is going to continue to push forward and be part of hopefully every day and everyone's lives at some point because we need to move towards prevention and different things because all the stuff that we're doing now just keeps getting worse and worse in the healthcare yeah. system. And there's 
lots of reasons behind that, but we're not doing what we can be doing to keep everyone healthy and safe. Um, we're, we're, we're coming at it from, we're reacting versus being, uh, proactive about, um, taking care of people's health in the healthcare industry, at least in, in our country. Um, so hopefully that will change and, and time will, time will show the, you know, making these changes is going to be important and, and doing preventative stuff is, is very important as well. Um, I think one of the biggest things that you were talking about that really struck a chord with me at being a physical therapist is that there's so many things that contribute to one person's pain, which is why kind of like what you were saying is getting the whole picture is really important. And normally when you're a PT, you spend a lot more time with a person versus say a dentist who may see them yeah. twice a year, right? Being a PT, you know, you would see someone maybe one to three times a week, depending on your setting and what, what they need. And you really get to know that person. And it's sometimes you almost become a psychologist yeah, um, to right. really, yeah, to really help with their symptoms because you've, you're finding out that, you know, yeah, they're in pain and, and this and that, but, you know, their home life isn't the best and that's not helping. And they have to make these lifestyle changes because they're not sleeping well, they're not eating great. And yeah. all that plays a role into how you're feeling and how you're performing as a person yeah. and on and off the golf course. Right. So yeah. those are all yeah. the things that are going to be really important. Um, can you go a little bit more into like certain like lifestyle factors that you really touch on with, with people? Sure. Absolutely. I have areas of focus that just by default, I happen to see a lot of people for. And um, I think in functional medicine, just like any other area, even in things like acupuncture and Ayurveda, people often will kind of have these areas they happen to just kind of specialize in or do a lot of because they've had success and people tell each other and then they just keep seeing more people. So um so for me personally, a, a big focus for me is hormone health and hormonal balancing. Um, I have, I, I teach classes at USM and I've worked in different um, areas before, but sexual health happens to just be an area that I have always been interested in. And to me, it comes down to the fact that I feel like hormones are so poorly addressed in conventional medicine. And the issue is that it, it just doesn't even get talked about. And hormonal health has so many more impacts on people's health other than just sexual health, though I don't want to downplay the importance of that because that is also an important aspect of life for a lot of people. And so when we look at symptoms that people are having and areas of imbalance, I can't tell you the amount of people that I see that come in that are like tired and in pain and, um, cranky and, you know, weight issues and recovery and muscle building definition, all that stuff. And they have never been evaluated for hormones or if they have, it's a bare minimum and it doesn't give enough information. And the very common thing I see is that if people have had hormone screening before, as long as they fall in that normal range, the provider says, okay, that's fine. The problem is that like, for example, a guy who um, middle-aged guy, a normal testosterone level is 280 to 1100. You can't tell me a guy coming in at 300 feels the same as someone who's at like, you know, eight or 900. So to me, it's about optimization of what we're working with. So when I talk to someone, I do like an hour and a half long intake for the exact reasons you said, I want to get a really good feel of like what's going on, what, what could be contributing. 
if it seems as though, um, you know, hormones are an issue we need to look at, we can do a simple blood test and look at that. And in addition to that, there's often other things going on. And another area that I typically focus on a lot, just again, by default is um, digestive health and wellness. And it is the regulator of so many aspects of health for people, um, mental health, um, just GI comfort and function, um, detoxifying, also immune function and inflammation, allergic response. I mean, it is the driver of a lot of things. So if I'm working with someone and we're talking about something that has nothing to do with GI health, but their GI system is up, we're going to have to address it because I know that their system can't be functioning optimally if their GI system is off. So there's some really pretty straightforward things we can do, but typically just trying to get to the bottom of what are this person's goals, first of all. So I try to go in with what is important to them, because if I go in with what's important to me and that doesn't match up, that's just not going to work well. So we kind of work on prioritizing what matters. So let's say, for example, someone wanted to enhance performance, right? And they're like in their 40s and they have consistent symptoms with um, like a hormone deficiency and they happen to have a really stressful life and a lot of demands and they're not sleeping well. Well, we're going to do a really comprehensive lab panel. And if hormones are low, we can talk about options for hormone replacement. And we might talk about stress hormone balancing because of all the demands they have going on. So, you know, getting them some, um, supplemental support during the day and for nighttime for sleeping that right there can move the dial a lot. Yeah. What, um, in my head, like when you said hormones are, are barely looked at and in my head, the first hormones that I thought of are one, probably testosterone, estrogen, and HGH or human growth hormone or what are those the main ones that you're looking at, or are there other ones that you're looking at as well? Yeah. And I mean, obviously it depends, you know, if male, female, um, I also do trans health and trans care. So that's, that's its own. I, I don't want to, I don't want to ignore that in the hormone evaluation, but when we're talking about people who are looking for hormone deficiencies, um, if I'm working with a male client, then what we're going to look at in addition, again, to like blood levels and thyroid and vitamin D and all those things, um, we're also going to look at testosterone And the key is that we need to look at free and total testosterone in addition to something called sex hormone binding globulin. I won't nerd out too much because I can do that. But the general premise is that you have a total amount of testosterone in your system, in your system. Some of that is stuck to that binding globulin. A lot of people have a really high amount of binding, binding globulin because of certain medications they're on or just genetics or that sort of thing. So if you have a total, let's say for a guy, you have a total testosterone of like 600, but your binding globulin is 100, you're not going to have a lot of free testosterone available for use. That guy is going to need or would benefit from hormone replacement even more so than someone who's at like 600 and has a very low binding globulin and a lot available to the system. So when you go to conventional medicine folks, they often aren't, are only looking at total and it doesn't give the whole picture. We do want to look at estrogen. Guys do need some estrogen. It kind of gets a bad rap, but you need it for cardiac health. There's receptors on the heart, and it's important to have that optimal. And then in addition to that, in a roundabout way, we can get a sense of how much human growth hormone is being produced, and it is important. Um, HGH is really tough to test in a blood test, and that's why athletes like to use it for (laughs) performance enhancement. But the cool thing is there's another lab that we can look at that helps give us a general sense. It's called IGF-1. And there's a lot of great peptides out there to help people enhance their own production of HGH without having it be unsafe the way that like straight injecting HGH would be. Gotcha. So 
let's say someone is deficient in these areas and they do want to move forward with some sort of way is are there ways instead of i guess taking some sort of actual you know probably injectable hormone are there other things that you may try first such as you know lifestyle changes whether that's sleeping you know improving their sleep schedule because that will affect i know at least hgh um and and other things that may help to level out those things Yeah, it's such a good question. And I've worked with people before who are, they wanted to do labs just to kind of get a sense of where they were at. Because of the nature of what I do, I typically hear from people when they're feeling pretty miserable. So it's rare that when I do someone's labs, they're actually pretty optimal or somewhat optimal. Usually people are pretty low or suboptimal. And in that case, if people are pretty suboptimal, it's rare that a lifestyle and supplement regimen is going to move the dial enough to help maintain that and help them achieve their goals. Though I'm never opposed to doing that stuff and there are things we can do. So we would wanna do supplements that help increase testosterone production, that help with sleep, and also things that they can do to drive down that binding globulin so that there's more available in the system for free testosterone. So there's definitely things we can do and I often will suggest those things and help people with them if they wanna go down that road. But I would say you know, 99% of people I work with um, men especially in that category are deficient or they wouldn't be reaching out but i do get people who are looking to enhance performance and so if that's the case and they are at an optimal level or they're kind of just needing a little help we definitely can do things like that and then peptides are a great option for them because we're not trying to like change hormonal balance but we are trying to enhance recovery um body composition muscle strength and gains and that sort of thing. So that's where that kind of comes in. But that's why we do the numbers to get a sense of like, where are we at? So what are some options for someone, like let's say they're coming in for performance and their levels are are pretty close to what, what we would consider optimal. What are some things that they can do to, again, maybe really get get the most out of their everyday life? Yeah, that again, it kind of, I'm going to sound like a broken record with it, but this is the reason why functional medicine is what it is, because there isn't a one size fits all. I would look at it like kind of bigger picture Mm -hmm. um, factors for them. So dietary factors, you know, are they eating kind of a well-balanced nutritional um, palate? And are they, are there any possible missing links for nutritional um, enhancement. So for example, like nutrients and vitamins and minerals, um, real basics, but I mean, this is like, you know, real basic stuff, but just making sure people are getting the basic nutrients they need, good um, levels of vitamin D. So in New England, I have yet to see anyone where I draw a level of vitamin D without supplementation and see it be optimal. And the problem is people go buy it because they're like, well, I should be taking it. And they get a thousand or 2000 international units. And that's just not enough in New England. People need to be on like at least Um, Mm 5000. After I do labs, I'll often put people on higher amounts, but I don't start out unless I have a number in front of me with a higher dose. But that being said, the real basic stuff like that. Um, stuff to enhance uh, testosterone production and that sort of thing. Zinc is a real basic one that a lot of us are deficient in, and that can be really helpful. Um, boron is a supplement that will drive down that binding globulin. 
But again, people who don't have a high binding globulin don't really need to take it because that's mm -hmm. just not an issue for them. Yeah. Um, there's some other like herbal blends. I mean, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of people who go to like GNC and get the blends. And, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, to me, I'm more minimalistic. And if people need something, then we'll address it. And I find that giving people specific supplements on their own is more helpful, I think, than blends a lot of time. Because you can get a lot of, the problem is they're trying to fit a certain amount of nutrients into like that one capsule or that one powder. And so if you're addressing what someone needs really specifically, you can give them a better dose of what they need with like a singular supplement. Although that being said, I do use a fair amount of like sleep supplements that are a blend and um, stress hormone supplements. So if someone needed, if someone's goal was to kind of specifically address like hormonal optimization, that would be where I'd start. Like some basic nutrients, maybe some herbs for testosterone enhancement, but that would, again, it would only be if they needed that. They were at that kind of mid-level um, and decreasing binding globulin if that were the case. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I always hate asking and being asked those questions of like, what would someone need? Because <laughs> you as a like medical provider are like, well, I need to, I need to know a little bit more about the specifics, right. right? So, I mean, yeah, as, as broad of an answer or as, as blanket of an answer as it can be, is, is, is as good as it's going to get, I guess, right <laughs> now, which is fine. You did mention that one of your other specialties is gut health. Um, yeah. and we actually talked a little bit about mine, uh, the last time <laughs> when we chatted, um, <laughs> yeah. um, mainly because I, you know, I come from a family history of, um, Crohn's disease. And, um, even though I don't think I have Crohn's disease, I know that I feel like I have had or have developed some sort of food sensitivity. And I yeah. talking with many people over the years, including patients, it seems like our bodies change as we get older, whether that's, you know, because we're eating a lot of one type of food or various other reasons, yeah. but it seems like sensitivities can develop, especially as we get on uh, in our years. And, yep. um, that can definitely affect how you feel throughout the day, whether, you know, you're on and off the golf course, if, you know, if you're worried, you have to go to the bathroom totally. in the middle of your rounds and that could just throw everything off, let alone That's just your true. regular day. Um, talk a little bit more about maybe some of the more common things that you see and like, um, how you deal with those kinds of patients. Again, I know it's going to be more of a broad blanket answer, um, yeah. but I know that that that's a big thing. There's, I mean, there's actually, it's almost like this kind of algorithm of approach, but where we go with it depends obviously on what's going on. So, um, and so, yeah, and you bring up a good point. I mean, and this is true for golfing or whatever other area people are in is that not only is it like, oh gosh, am I going to have to go to the bathroom? But there's usually like a fair amount of discomfort too, that goes along with that. So it's like this ongoing progression of things. So typically if someone's got gut health issues going on, the common kind of troublemakers for that or the common causes are um, perhaps food sensitivities and many people have them. And I can talk in a minute about kind of the best way for us to figure that out. Um, in addition to that, over time when you have inflammation, so it might've started because of a sensitivity, could have started because maybe you went on a trip and had water and got exposed to a um, bacteria that overgrew or a um, parasite or something along those lines. Um, the other big player that gets often ignored is H. pylori. That's something that's really common that can cause trouble. So anyway, 
for whatever reason, people could have inflammation that's going on that is then causing a reaction in the gut that kind of start, it almost starts as like inflammatory, but immune response. So the immune system is like, oh, well, this food isn't broken down and it's these big particles and these shouldn't be in the bloodstream. And so it, it creates a immune response to it as if it's like an invader of like a viral or bacterial kind of um, um, uh, like initiation. So they, the, what, what I'm kind of trying to lay out is they often, it's not just one or the other, they often go hand in hand. So often there's food sensitivity issues and there's often gut or um, there's gut bacteria imbalances, there's yeast imbalances, there's parasites and that sort of thing. So phase one, when I'm working with someone and they come in, I, again, I'm doing an intake. I'm trying to figure out what they eat. And if there's common foods like gluten, dairy, I mean, I know everyone loves them. They are common troublemakers. And I always tell people, listen, we're doing this to get you information. What you do with that information is up to you. So if you find that dairy is a sensitivity for you and causes a lot of trouble, you might be like, okay, I'm mostly not going to eat it, but once in a while, I'm going to have a cheese plate while I'm out, and I know I'm going to feel miserable the next day. I'm just going to make a decision about it, and that's okay, but at least they have the information. So it's crucial to start with, um, I find doing an elimination diet is the best way to figure out food sensitivities. People love the tests these days. They're an IgG test, so that's an antibody. It's saying, hey, has the body made an immune response against this food? The problem I have with those is that they miss some really big um, areas of trouble that can happen. So this day and age, the kind of farming we do, we put a lot of chemicals on food. We put a lot of fertilizers in the ground and we put a lot of like treatment on them after they've been processed. So there's a lot of people that have sensitivities to those components, but we would never see that in a food sensitivity blood test because that's not what it's looking for. So you could get the blood test and it would be like, oh yeah, gluten's fine for you, but gluten is famous for having glycophosphates, which I'm sure people have probably heard of at this point, which are really inflammatory. If we don't take it out and see how your body does, we're not going to have a sense of that food being a troublemaker and you're going to keep it in your diet because the blood test said it was fine. And the other thing is that when people do an elimination, sometimes they only do one food at a time, which I get because it's daunting. Um, but let's say gluten and dairy are an issue. If you only take gluten out, you're going to be like, nope, actually, I didn't feel any better, so it must not be gluten. And then you go to do dairy, and you're like, nope, I tried dairy for a month and didn't feel any different. But you would never know because it's like having the two tacks in the bottom of your foot. You only took one tack out. Your foot still hurt. But when you take both of them out, you're like, oh, I feel better. So you you kind of – it's for a month. I tell people, listen, you know, there's some really great um, programs to kind of support it. But it's for one month, and I'm always kind of like, you know – People sometimes aren't ready right away, and that's fine. But eventually, anyone who has GI stuff that isn't responding to other things we're doing, then we absolutely will go down that road. Um, there are definitely really common supplements that I use with people that are really good. I use really good probiotics and um, a GI healing powder. And based on what we see with other stuff, then we might add more in. Again, I try to be really minimalistic just for cost and use benefit. And the other tool we have, which I love, and this goes into like the science nerdiness of functional medicine, and I am like so crazy for it, but I don't always get a lot of buy-in um, unless we need it, is a stool test. Have you heard of those before? Um, I mean, I've heard of people having a stool test, but... Yeah, I know. You're yeah. like, I don't nerd out on it the same way you do. No. Um, well, <laughs> I love it. 
Because as a practitioner, it's awesome because what it shows you is like they do take a sample, a tiny little sample of your poop and I don't analyze it. I send it away to the lab. Um, but what it shows us is are there harmful bacteria that have overgrown and literally it measures it to like the nth power of how much is in the system and how much should be there. It also measures the good bacteria to see are you deficient in any good bacteria that could be helping balance things. It looks for H. pylori, which is bacteria that survives really well in um, the stomach acid. It looks at um, yeast overgrowth. And then it also looks for inflammatory markers. I won't go into it, but there's some that are specific for like IBS, IBD, celiac. So it, it's super helpful, um, real nerdy, but it gives us a lot of really good information. So if I'm not getting improvement with someone from just supplements and basic dietary stuff, then I'll probably say, hey, let's let's use this other tool. But again, like I usually find people do really well with the basic stuff we do without having to do the test first. Okay. I think you, I had a question. I think you just answered it. So my question was going to be, how do you know, like if you're doing these more minimal approaches, which I'm all for, how do you know if you're affecting uh, the bacteria in the gut the right way? Obviously there'll be actual changes in the person's symptoms or not. Right. But I guess my question is sort of, was more along the lines of the numbers because you're supposed to have bacteria in your gut that are going to be good and that should be doing, doing some stuff. But how do you know with whatever you're doing, maybe that's eliminating too much bacteria, whether that's good or bad. And I guess that would be where uh, a stool test would come, come in handy. (laughs) Totally. And it's a really good question. I mean, this is why the kind of herbal antibiotics are working so well. And actually a lot of like conventional GI people are starting to turn to using these protocols that have been in functional medicine for so long, because the most common prescription for gut issues for people in conventional medicine is actually uh, like Wellbutrin or an SSRI or something like that. It's a psych med. I won't go too far into it, but there is an association serotonin, that feel good neurotransmitter, like 90% of it is produced in the gut. So it makes sense to me that that works, but it's not getting to the heart of the issue. It's just going to cover the symptoms up for a while and rewire your neurotransmitter. So that's a whole different story. But the question being, how do we know it's working? Well, you start to feel better. You start to have a regular daily bowel movement. You start to have no gut bloating or pain. Um, You have better energy. People's skin clears up. They sleep better. We know that um, from basic changes, we're going to either see it get better or not. I would say it's rare people don't have any improvement. Um, But if that's the case, then I know there's something else going on we need to look deeper into. When I'm working with people and they're doing an elimination diet, I usually have them doing a probiotic. And it does matter what kind of probiotic you get. There are different levels of quality and strain. So the one I use has three different types of good bacteria. A lot of them only have one or two. So we're replacing and then I have people do this powder that binds to. So this is where we get into like good and bad bacteria, right? There is problematic bacteria that if it overgrows, it causes trouble, but they all kind of belong in the system for the most part. There's some that you get exposed to that does cause trouble, that it would be better if you didn't have it there. But theoretically, if your gut is low inflammation and you have good bacteria, your body should be able for the most part to keep it in check. So it's kind of like giving your body the tools to heal the gut, to get the good bacteria on board and to take out the inflammatory sources like foods or chemicals that are causing it to have a hard time balancing on its own and let it do its own thing. So the powder that I do with people will bind to the overgrowth of the bad bacteria bad. I hate to call it that the problematic troublemaker bacteria. Um, and it moves it out of the system through like bowel movements and stuff like that. 
but it won't um, it won't damage like the good bacteria itself of your body will kind of balance that on its own, I guess is what I'm trying gotcha. to say. Okay. No, that makes, that makes a ton more sense. I was just wondered if like you were just getting rid of bacteria in my head, I'm thinking of as like a, I know it's not an antibiotic, but like yeah. more lines of like an antibiotic, which we know is not necessarily good to take a whole bunch of because then oh, yeah. your body creates resistance to that, which isn't ideal. Yeah. Um, and there's a time and a place for like, there's a time and a place for it. And if someone does need to do it, you know, I'll just try to help them really up their probiotic intake and that sort of thing. So, you know, sometimes, you know, for example, Lyme, I mean, Lyme is rampant in New England and like people really do benefit from doing a longer course of high antibiotics for a lot of people. And if that's the case, the, the risk benefit of that outweighs the risk outweighs, you know, of damaging gut bacteria outweighs what could be left if you don't deal with a Lyme right. infection, but we can be giving you a lot of good things to help support you at the same time. Right. You kind of, uh, I had another question. You kind of, uh, alluded to what the symptoms are, but in case anyone isn't sure what maybe some of these, uh, like a GI problem would cause or what symptoms they may be having, like, can you go into some of those yeah. symptoms? And so people can maybe help recognize if they are having issues or they're not totally. sure. Cause I feel like some people really think, um, it's okay to, you know, have a bowel movement once every three days. And like, <laughs> the thought of that to me is like, are you okay? <laughs> oh my yeah. God. That's such a good point. And you brought up how there's like kind of a familial, a a family connection for you. So when people grow up with everyone in the family having these issues, they just think it's normal. And yes, you're like, it's hilarious. You pointed that out about like how frequently you have a bowel movement, because I used to just ask people, do you have constipation? And they'd say no. And when I asked, do you have a daily bowel movement? They'd be like, no, like looking at me, like I was crazy. And I was like, all right, I need to be more specific with how I ask this. And now I just say, do you go daily? Um, because yeah, waiting every two to three days is actually a long time. And there's people who go longer, but the point is, is that your bowels are meant to pull toxins and hormones and, you know, stuff you don't need out of the body. So if it's sitting in the GI tract, that GI tract is very permeable. So those things are floating back into the system that aren't supposed to be there. So I actually do this a lot with people who have hormonal issues is that like some of it is just that they're not moving it out and they get these like, um, for women more so um, that they get these kind of like hormonal symptoms that comes from just not moving out things like estrogen or that sort of thing. But symptoms, typically, when I see people who have GI stuff, um, it presents in a manner of ways, one of them, the obvious things, right? Like either going very frequently and having like um, loose stools, watery stools, you get a lot of like irritation and itching in the rectal area because of that. Um, you get people who go a long time without having a bowel movement or have to work really hard, rectal bleeding, that sort of thing. Those are a little more kind of concerning and need to be looked at as well. But um, the other thing is bloating. So people think bloating is normal. Like they're like, oh, I'm so full after a meal, but it's like, you really shouldn't feel that way all the time. Um, maybe if you indulge a little, but that shouldn't be the norm. And it's helpful to me sometimes if people say they have bloating immediately versus two hours later, I'm actually, those are actually clues for me as to what might be going on. Um, heartburn, also not normal, not great to have long-term. People take proton pump inhibitors. We know that those are actually really risky now and that they actually cause more trouble and we're trying to get people off of them. Um, the other things that are not as clear about being GI specific, so fatigue, poor sleep, skin issues are so common with GI imbalances, not just acne, but rashes and weird stuff, eczema, psoriasis. Um, and 
big time we have like anxiety, depression, irritability. Again, because there is that highway between the neurotransmitters and the gut that we're just learning about. And like you said, in medicine, we're like 10 years behind on everything. So when people have anxiety or depression and I ask them, you know, do you feel like it's coming from a place that makes sense? Like, does this make sense to you? Because sometimes we have traumas or stuff that's going on. And mostly people are saying, no, I don't understand why it's happening, which is why they're kind of coming to see me for stuff. Then I'm going to know, okay, and if there's GI stuff going on, that if we improve gut health, that very often this is going to go along with it. And I see that with hormones too. Again, for men and women, a lot of people have anxiety, depression, irritability, and it comes from this hormone deficiency, but they're getting psych meds to try to kind of like put a Band-Aid on it. And it might work and that's fine, but typically it's other things start to emerge because we're not addressing the underlying cause. Right. I think so very often this goes back to what we talked about earlier, like just with the whole Western medicine and, and our healthcare system is that we generally just put band-aids on things and, you know, hope that that stops the bleeding from a, you know, a bullet wound basically. Yeah. And unfortunately, like you said, sometimes it, it'll, it'll work, but it may highlight some of the actual other things that are going on that are contributing to the problem, um, which obviously is not, not good and obviously not taking care of the, the true root cause of the issue. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think people have a sense of that these days, like people do want more, and they do have a sense of it. And so, again, you know, I think medicine, in a weird way, sometimes is consume, consumer driven. And I think people be wanting this kind of approach is gonna hopefully change the system. It's definitely much more cost efficient in my mind than what we're currently doing. So at the very least, save money. <laughs> it is, it, it doesn't seem like it. But what I always tell people is, um, you know, even though this may seem more expensive now, or it's not covered by insurance, think about how much it's going to cost you later down the line for the amount of continued years that you didn't take care of this issue. Yeah. And when you're facing hospital bills and those kinds of things, and if you think hospital bills are high now, and if the way things keep going, they're going to be even more expensive, uh, totally. 10 to 20 years from now. So taking care of it now is going to be your best, your best bet. And I forget. I don't know the exact uh, quote, but I'm pretty sure it's like, I'm pretty sure Ben Franklin did this, but he's like an, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure or something along yeah, those lines, absolutely. right? So it absolutely. definitely makes sense. Yeah. And, and if you, you know, it's harder to kind of catch up if you let things go too far and it's not that it's impossible, but it definitely takes more work. But, um, you know, I see this a lot where the body will turn up the volume on symptoms until you start to pay attention. And there's a lot of people who have a large deductible and they keep paying to go to like specialist after specialist and getting no answers. And they need someone to look at the bigger picture, not a smaller picture. So it, it definitely, I think, pays off for a lot of people. For sure. What um, you had mentioned before, just one quick thing. I know that you it's it's they're newer and they're becoming more and more popular. But you had mentioned peptides. Can yeah. you go a little bit into I guess what peptides are for anyone who may not really even know what what that is or what they are and then how how are they beneficial basically Definitely. So there is a lot of available peptides on the market. I'll talk about the ones I typically use more just because I'm familiar with them. Um, but all peptides basically are a cluster of amino acids. Those amino acids cluster together and they make a peptide. And when peptides come together, they make a protein. So they're kind of the base of all building blocks of the body. The other thing is the receptors in the body. So there's like these little like, you know, electrical outlets, right? And when you put the plug in, 
the thing does its job that you're plugging in. Well, that's like how receptors in the body work. So a peptide goes in and fits into specific receptors. When it hits, the receptor does its job. So for example, we're talking about human growth hormone. There is a peptide that people can do that we cycle in a way that's healthy for the body. If you take it all the time, every day, month after month, you will mess up the receptors in your body. But if you're using it in an appropriate way that you're not going to reset the receptors, what happens is these peptides go in and they hit the receptors for the precursors for your body to make its own human growth hormone. So it's going to be like, okay, turn on the volume. And then the body's only going to turn it up to the appropriate amount for your body. And then you do it at nighttime, basically, because that's when you make human growth hormone for the most part. And you cycle it in a way that increases your own human growth hormone, which as you already know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, helps with metabolism, it helps with body composition, it helps with recovery and strength training. And it, it, it does have some crossover into hormonal kind of production. If people are low, especially like if a woman's menopausal or a guy is like kind of like, you know, 50, 60, set, like it's it's not going to turn the volume up that much to accommodate for that. Those, those folks would probably benefit from hormone replacement, but for people who are kind of looking to enhance things. So the thing a lot of people do, and this is like really big, like again, you know, certain areas, Maine is always a little behind the curve in some things, not everything in the way of medicine, but um, in like California and Nevada and Florida, like people are using peptides. And I mean like orthopedic people, professional athletes, even in Massachusetts, like there's a woman that I love listening to at conferences. And I know that she kind of works with a lot of the professional sports players in that area. So what they're doing is they're they're, um, cycling this peptide called CJC1295, and it's with something called ipamorelin. Um, that's the HGH peptide. You do that two months on at a certain pattern and then stop for a month. In that month that people stop, they often are doing these other two peptides that work really well together. One of them is called BPC125, and that helps actually do repair of joint and muscle tissue. It actually lays down repair for injuries or just kind of wear and tear. The other one that people do really well with when we pair it with that, they work really well together is called TB4 or TB500. It's got two different names. That one decreases inflammation so the body can heal better. So if someone comes to me and they're like going in for surgery for a rotator cuff or something like that, I'm probably going to actually start them on that second regimen of the two decrease inflammation and repair. If someone's coming for just basic kind of like um, recovery gains, body composition, that cycle of all those peptides is beneficial. Um, The BPC actually side note is really good for gut health. So I love using that one because it's like two for the price of one. So people have gut stuff. It can help with healing and help with recovery. Um, And then the other one I use a lot, but this is kind of more in my functional medicine of like, I work with a lot of people with like Epstein-Barr and Lyme and just weird autoimmune stuff. There's a peptide called thymosin alpha one that works really well for um, kind of weird infectious stuff. There's tons of peptides out there for brain health, um, like TBI, post-stroke recovery, enhancing memory and that sort of thing. I haven't used them as much. I'm totally, you know, open to them and and am a total nerd for peptides and try to stay up to date. But the ones I typically see most in my practice are the four that I just mentioned. Awesome. Yeah. And it sounds like they have, again, specific ones have various uses for, for different things. So whether you're looking for performance or you're looking for more healing or just trying to decrease inflammation, if your body's uh, just overactive in terms of activating the inflammatory response, which after a long time is not very good, uh, these can be, can be potentially helpful. And like you were saying, um, 
places like California, Nevada, Florida, yeah. who are usually more ahead of the curve and, and more willing to try all these things because people in those places want to do that. Um, yeah. Obviously, these are being used, and I'm sure um, it'll continue to to grow. Just like how in my at least my world, I've seen a lot of uh, PRP platelet platelet rich oh, yeah. plasma injections. Totally. Um, people people do those things, and it's becoming more and more commonplace. I will say that um, they can be hit or miss depending on the joint yeah. uh, in my experience. So it right. um, just depends for sure. Um, yeah. But I, again, these things are going to continue to grow, I think, as people are realizing that there are other options that are helpful that are, quote unquote, less invasive and less yeah. um, addictive when it comes yeah. to various medicines and things that won't. And uh, safer for the body. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, well, I want to be respective of your time, Allison. Thank you so much for coming on. If yeah. anyone wants to get in contact with you, has questions about anything we talked about or um, wants to work with you, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah. Um, so people can find me online. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and that is Allison Gray and it's F as in Frank N as in Nancy P as in Paul FNP. And then my website is northstarholisticmedicine.com. Um, and from the website, you can go to a contact us button. It's probably easier than trying to do my email. Um, my email is allison at northstarholisticmedicine, but there's a lot of variables in there. So the website or messaging me through my Facebook or Instagram page is probably the easiest. Awesome. I will make sure that all of those are going to be linked up. Oh, awesome. So anyone can just click on those and Perfect. <laughs> right, right to the, right to the spot. Um, any any last words of uh, advice or wisdom before we get into our, our ending questions? <laughs> yeah, no, I would like to say I, I offer free consultations. So if anyone has any issues and I mean, it might've been stuff we didn't talk about, but I really love working with people who are like, I feel like something's going on. They keep telling me everything's normal or just aren't getting answers. I mean, even if they don't end up working with me long-term, I really appreciate trying to help people see a bigger picture so they don't feel crazy. Um, and for people who think they're hormonally deficient have been told, no, no, you're fine. Or you can't possibly be because you're too young. Um, you know, there's some really clear cut ways we can get to the bottom. So I would just say, don't hesitate to reach out, even if it doesn't feel like the right match. You know, I usually can help with some basic information. So, you know, I'm happy to talk to anyone. Um, and usually you're not crazy. So <laughs> that's my favorite part. <laughs> Perfect. Um, all right, so we will get into our last little bit of fun questions. I can't kind of give you uh, a precursor to what they are. <laughs> yep. So for anyone who doesn't know, I'm Allison is not the biggest golfer in the world, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, it'll be interesting to hear hear these answers. So, uh, what is the best golf course you've ever played? Well, since it's the only golf course, and I think played is a real subjective term, um, the Freeport Country Club, what are they called? Anyway, in Freeport, Maine, very helpful over there. Years ago, I just hit some balls off of whatever. <laughs> that was my <laughs> biggest experience. And I'm rolling out mini golf, so I'll just keep that out of there. Okay. Um, and then, so for the second question, it is... Are you, you have a risky approach shot to the green, which means you're just taking a shot to get onto the green. And um, basically, are you going to go for it or are you going to not risk it and play it safe? I'm definitely going to go for it. Okay. I, uh, I'm extremely impulsive. So yeah, let's go for <laughs> it. 
And the last question is, if you're going to go out for a round of golf, who is in your dream foursome? So you and three other people, and it could be absolutely anyone. So, you know, I have to say I've landed on, um, it's probably a pretty boring answer, but I wanted to say like cool people who have died. And there's a lot of them that I'd like to hang out with, but it's going to sound crazy, but I never met any of my grandparents. Like I've never met any of them. They all died like before I was born, before I could meet them. So I'd probably have to take my grandparents out and get to know them and uh, get some good stories about my parents. That's a good answer. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, but Allison, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, go ahead and share your knowledge and wisdom with everyone. Really appreciate it. Thank you. This was so much fun. And, you know, I love nerding out about this stuff. So anytime. <laughs> All right. That wraps up this episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. Hopefully everyone enjoyed that episode and was able to get something out of that. I know that I did. And when I had my own personal talk with Allison, I definitely learned a lot. And she basically treated it as almost like a free consultation that she had mentioned that she does for most of her clients. So if you guys have any questions about what's going on with your body, maybe you're not getting any better with certain treatments that you've been trying, or maybe that you have some of these symptoms that we talked about in the show, please feel free to go ahead and reach out to Allison. Like I said, she does free consultations and she truly just wants to help you out. Even if you don't end up working with her, she wants to be able to point you in the right direction. And so you can start feeling and playing your best. Other than that, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I'm not going to ask for anything on this episode besides the fact that you please go ahead and give Allison a follow on any social media channels. But other than that, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I really appreciate it. And I know that you could have been doing absolutely anything else in the world and you decided to listen to me. And for that, I am forever grateful. As always, keep working hard, keep striving for excellence, because when you feel great, you go great.